0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Raw Talk with Sheena. It feels very interesting to be back after a little hiatus. If this is the first time that you're tuning in, I've taken a little break. It's been very nice. I hope during that time you've been able to reflect back on some of the past episodes or check out some other cool podcasts. But, And I know that some people are interested in hearing what the break was about and all of those types of things, and honestly... If I had to give a reason to the break, I'd probably be making something up because it kind of happened organically and then the time kind of expanded. At the same time, I took a break from social media and all of those things just felt really good in the moment. And during that time, I was able to reflect on this podcast and the information that I provide and the way that I provided it. And it felt really good to do some reflecting And I feel like it's giving me a new wave of confidence moving forward, you know, because when you do something like this in a public forum, there's a lot of personal thought processing that happens about yourself. So a lot of vulnerability and a lot of questioning the way that you're doing things. This is for me personally, maybe not for other people. So Um, a lot of comparisons. And, you know, everyone else in the wellness field is doing things this way. Should I be sounding this way? Should I be promoting this product? Should I be formatting things like this? And that dialogue didn't feel good for me. So I needed to take a step back and recognize the parts of it that I do enjoy and the parts of it that I am good at. And my listeners, you guys have been really amazing about letting me know the parts of raw talk with Sheena that you've missed and that you look forward to hearing in the future. And that's helped. Um, But mostly what's, what's been the most inspirational has just been this time with me canceling out some of the noise of social media and canceling out some of the noise of the comparisons that I've had with myself um, in relation to other people um, who are doing podcasts and blogs and other things. So I'm hoping that this new season of Raw Talk with Sheena feels a little bit more developed. I'm hoping that I seem a little bit more developed. I'm hoping that I can provide an openness to you listeners um, while also feeling like I have some stability I want to provide that same transparency that I expect of my guests, but also feel like I have a protected sense of self as I'm developing and as I'm growing. So that's really all I have in terms of the break. Um, another thing is that I really want this podcast to be supported, um, I want it to be something that I receive energy from as well. So there may be some restructuring in the upcoming episodes. I started a Patreon account. So if you feel called to support financially, you can do that there. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes. And also uh, restructuring. There was something else that came to mind, but I'm forgetting it at this moment. So, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's lost me. Yeah, so maybe, maybe the episodes are not going to come out every week. Maybe it's going to be every other week. So the restructuring may be an unstructuring as well. I want this to feel very organic for me because I want to continue to enjoy the interviews. I want to continue to enjoy that which I do share um, from my personal experience. And I want to interact with you a little bit more, and I also want to feel that you're interacting with me. So, if there's an episode that really speaks to you, sharing it is greatly appreciated. Writing a review is greatly appreciated, and of course, sponsoring on Patreon would be amazing. So, I think that's all I've have I have for today. I appreciate you guys sticking with me through my break. I've enjoyed it a lot. I'm gonna take more, and um, let me introduce this week's guests. He is my life coach. He is my partner in life and businesses life coach, and I call him that because working with him doesn't feel like traditional therapy. However, his name is Dr. Tim Kirschenstein, and he does have a PhD in clinical psychology from the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology in Palo Alto, California. He's also worked with master therapist Suzanne Shaboud, Ph.D., OCD, and hoarding specialist. She's seen on A&E's Hoarders. Love that show. Side note. Um, and he's also kind of uh, done his own in-depth training with somatic psychology, existential psychology, and Eastern philosophy. So he has a very wide range of experience in this therapy and coaching world. He gives a really incredible perspective on the difference between the both and just the importance of taking that time to talk about some things that are developing in one's life And he's been very integral in my journey, in my partner's journey, in our journey together. I find that um, sometimes while while I like to allow things to develop just in my own energy field, sometimes it is helpful to have someone else there, especially when you're in a relationship, I find, whether it's business or personal, because sometimes there's um, just... Coming from two different bodies, sometimes the communication doesn't always reach the intention and having someone, a third party perspective can be really helpful. And then also when you're working with someone individually, um, sometimes your perspective is very focused and linear And having someone who can potentially offer a different perspective can be incredibly helpful as well. And that's been true in my experience. So I know that you guys are going to love hearing from Dr. Tim. I love hearing from him. Let me know what you think and enjoy this episode. You're listening to a fresh new podcast on healing, spiritual development, nutrition, energy work, and sometimes aliens from the owner of the celebrity acclaimed Raw Republic Juice Bar and Wellness Center in New Orleans, Louisiana, Sheena Manina. Yes, that's her real name. This is Raw Talk with Sheena. So welcome to Raw Talk with Sheena, everyone. This is a very special guest and someone who I've been debating whether or not to have on the podcast because he's my life coach and I don't want him to get too busy to not be able to include me in his weekly schedule. But um, this is Tim and Tim has been an incredibly integral part of my transformation recently and has been really important in me finding a a safe and comfortable place to begin expressing things that I had for a long time just kind of kept in and not in a way that I even knew that it was happening. And so Tim and I talk a lot about the fact that it's really important that when you're working with coaches that you're ready to begin expressing some of these things and working through some of these things. And, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, but first I want, Tim, I want you to kind of talk about what brought you to the place of wanting to do this for other people through the discovery of, of needing to kind of do this for yourself
1: yeah um so it's a little bit of background because uh it was some things that happened in my life that were very um you know were the catalyst to me wanting to help other people get through challenges when i was a teenager uh, i went through some pretty hard times uh you know very you know heavy depression and just trying to escape and uh you know feeling suicidal and it eventually landed me in a psychiatric hospital when i was 15 years old and you know i was just an angry teenager Mm -hmm. things hadn't you know just life wasn't going the way that i thought it should and i blamed everybody around me my parents school uh you know anything that just seemed to get in the way of me being happy in life and You know, there was this uh, sort of uh, what I call now sort of an existential awakening as a 15-year-old. I didn't have that language when this happened, but I was sitting in this hospital with no shoelaces, no belt, and just kind of pretty upset about being there. Yeah. And it just hit me that I couldn't blame anybody Mm -hmm. but myself for being in this situation. And from that moment on, I decided if my life was gonna get better and I was gonna be happy in it, The only person who could make that happen was me. Yeah. And so I really uh, just sort of took that as I'm going to turn things around. And I was just, I had purpose. Yeah. And that purpose drove me. And uh, what
0: was that though at that time?
1: The purpose was uh, I wanted to feel better in my life and I was going to do whatever it took to get there. And Mm -hmm. so I started, uh, you know, just taking advantage of the resources that I had. I was fortunate enough to have um, a psychiatrist that I I worked with who was kind of old school, did psychoanalysis, uh, you know, Freudian. Like you got
0: electrocuted?
1: (laughs) No, 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 none of that. Um, She was really quite wonderful in that, what she did was made me have to work for it. She never gave me the answers. She, you know, sometimes we'd sit in silence for maybe a half an hour, and she wouldn't say anything because she would leave it up to me to take the initiative. And I started to realize that's what was making me feel better, that I was becoming the actor in my life. I wasn't mm. waiting for somebody else to do it. I wasn't waiting for the answers to come. I was going out and finding them. And, uh, and when I realized how she helped me do that, I was like, I want to do this for other people. I want to help other people, uh, you know, get through the challenges so they can feel empowered and happy again. And, uh, so that's really how it started for me. And, you know, ever since then, it was just a journey. Psychology was the only way I knew to go. So that's what I did in college, um, graduate school and, uh, you know, got my PhD in clinical psychology and have gone a non-clinical route since then. And, it's been um, it's so been a, a great lot of journey. education,
0: and but but the way that we became connected was my boyfriend Evans and did a training with you in California, correct? That's right. And so and that was completely outside of the educational system.
1: That was a, a training I did on my own. It wasn't part of my graduate school. It was a, a kind of it was a somatic experiencing was uh, the modality that I was training in. And it's something that's uh, for helping people deal with trauma by learning how to help the nervous system be able to work it out. And it was a really wonderful uh, training. And, um, you know, Evan's aunt is uh, an amazing person. And we connected because she was from New Orleans. uh, And, you know, we we had that connection out in California. And uh, she's a wonderful person. Um,
0: She's amazing. I love Marlette. You guys will meet her one day for sure. But what I find really interesting, Tim, is that people still need nowadays you know especially people of my parents generation they still really connect with someone having that educational background and the first time that i met you i was like how much of this i you know i was definitely tuning into how much of this is regimented how how Into a box is he going to try to fit me, Um, and how programmed is his his approach going to be in trying to help me? And the case was that there were none of those boxes, (laughs) which told me immediately that you weren't healing on the same program that um, what that I'm traditionally used to in psychological and psychiatric environments, and so this is what a lot of my listeners are interested in knowing is what is the difference between that sort of practice and then the practice that we kind of deem life coaching nowadays. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. I'm actually, um, it it means a lot to me to hear that that's your experience because, uh, I, I work really hard to be natural and authentic and, uh, really meet, you know, what's happening in the moment. And uh, having things very regimented and boxed in is, is very um, the antithesis of what I want to be in my work because I, I see it a little bit differently. And, and that's why I also say like coaching is the best uh, name that I have for what I do because I... I don't work in a clinical realm I'm not a licensed psychologist I chose to go this non-clinical route because philosophically it felt really important to me and coaching is the best name but I also I teach I I consult and because of the you know wealth of education I've been fortunate to to have um, I I have some things to offer uh, in that and so uh, it's not I don't just coach but I consult I um, I support, and I think that the most, the best way I can describe in simple terms what I do, is have meaningful conversations with people and develop a uh, trusting relationship, and in that, that person is the agent that begins to find their healing very organically. Is that's the strongest thing that even then psychological research on researching psychotherapies and seeing what psychotherapy is good for this problem, on and on. And the, the biggest effect that they notice, no matter what therapy is being done, because the truth is there's no scientific evidence that says one therapy is better than another. Um, but what they have found is the biggest determinant for positive uh, results in therapy have been the relationship that is developed between therapist and client Mm -hmm. and i'm talking about therapy right now because that's the research that i know that that's been done but i think that these kind of meaningful relationships are developed in you know more than just the arena of uh, psychotherapy, but between coaches, between consultants and clients. I mean, it might even be, you know, your lawyer and you who have a wonderful relationship and just talking about things helps you just feel better or get a different perspective. Yeah. Um, Or if
0: someone has like a mentor. Yes. It's just kind of that, like, this isn't really programmed into our society as ways, like we don't just spend, you know, like free time with people, like, It it was available, I guess, you know, or it's or it is available in indigenous tribes and people who live in in community settings like this is this is why I'm constantly pushing my audience toward finding the person that they can communicate with and they can connect with because that space providing you to just experience, express, release, talk about things like it's it's so transformational and it's, it's also so simple. So what, what would have been the difference in if you had gone like continued going or you were, you are trained so traditionally, Mm -hmm. like what, give me an example and you are specifically trained to help people with OCD. Well,
1: I've been working with people with OCD for about eight years because I started working with um, Dr. Suzanne Chabot here in New Orleans at the, OCD Institute of Greater New Orleans, um, and she taught me everything there is to know about working with OCD, and then my years of experience getting to know lots of people with OCD has just really helped me understand that particular animal really intimately so that um, I've really learned how to help people understand the way that it operates in their life so that they can begin uh, developing their own way of learning how to confront it and feel more empowered. Uh, I, I, and OCD is so interesting too because I think it's an exaggeration or, or a magnification is maybe a better word of the human condition because we're all afraid of things uh, that are uncertain in the world and that provokes anxiety in all of us uncertainty. Um, and OCD is a magnification of that concern and trying to control for it and ultimately, it's just part of our existence. We we would do best learning how to meet uncertainty with courage, and you know, with the willingness to put ourselves out there and meet the possibilities that are you know available in our lives.
0: Yeah, the way that I think about OCD is the similar way that I think about addiction. I feel like we're we all have we all have that capacity mm-hmm. in us, right? Sure, we all have that same brain patterning, like you were just describing. We all have fears. We all have um, we all have these persistent thoughts that sometimes don't make sense, and and I think that that's another thing that makes you so good at what you do is that you have such a deep understanding of like when it's expressed so outwardly that to the to society you know something's gone wrong, mm-hmm. like then you and then you've studied it from that perspective. However, like I feel like we're all experiencing this.
1: Sure, I, I, I think in you know. F- For instance, in meditation, uh, a lot of the practice is so that it can illuminate how distorted our thoughts can be, how distorted and just wild our mind is. And it's kind of like the better you get to know that, the less easily you'll be duped by your own distortions. And the same holds true with uh, obsessions that come in OCD. And if we're, it's almost, I like the saying, uh, you know, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. It means you really wanna know the enemies of your mind, which are the distortions and the illusions that we hold. And OCD is a magnification of that that gets us really hooked into this illusion that what we really care about is that I really heightened risk and we have to do something about it and we have to get that certainty. And, you know, it really requires uh, taking the risk of saying, I'm going to let go and not try to... control this uncertainty and I'm going to see what happens even though it's it's really frightening it's hard work but I think we can all relate to that um that we fear losing things we care about and um it's learning how that even though we live in an uncertain world and sometimes we do lose uh things and people we care about that uh, that's ever more the reason to love them now and to really learn how to live and take in the quality of experience that we have right now because this is our only guarantee is that I'm alive and breathing and loving
0: now. Exactly. This is no different than what many of the things that I talk to you about on a regular basis, this sure. like, you know, I'm, I'm so worried about my businesses. I'm so worried about my finances. I'm so worried about, you know, whatever. And then looking at that process that, that I've, I've, you know, I then create stories, I create scenarios, I create obsessions like there to me, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see a difference in, you know, what we've termed a disorder and then the experience of a lot of people. It's just that sometimes we can then put ourselves in a, in an environment that we believe to be controlled and we're like, okay, well, since it's a controlled environment, nothing can go wrong. We've convinced ourselves that, you know, if we have that job or if we have that right partner, then all of these thoughts will, we're okay to let them go. But that is, that's superficial, uh, stability. And mm-hmm. we talk about that a lot too. Right. Everything is superficial. Right. Right.
1: Right. I mean, uh, you know, at the, at the, you know, the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, and this, uh, I'm kind of taking from some of the things that Pema Chodron talks about, about groundlessness. You know, the truth is there is no solid ground beneath us. Everything at, you know, the drop of a hat can change and we're not in control of that all the time. And I think you're right about that. You know, this thing that we call disordered is, is, very much a part of the human condition something we all experience i think the differences is in the you know level of uh suffering can be really great with someone who is uh very very much in the grips of what we do call ocd that it can be so disruptive and people suffer so greatly and so they they have a bigger task on their hand but it's still in the same way the same practice that would help any of us live a more free and empowered life. And that's learning how to meet life on life's terms, not try so hard. If I only work harder, I'll be able to control life. And life just has a way of reminding us, you know, you don't control a lot of this. And our, our power really comes in how we respond to things rather than how we control them.
0: How has your suffering changed?
1: Hmm. How has my suffering changed?
0: From where you were, you kind of started the conversation talking about where you were.
1: Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a good question. Um, because I think it's a chance also to explain that suffering is not a fixed position. So when I suffered uh, a great deal when I was, uh, you know, a teenager, um, you know, I, I felt extraordinarily better. You know, come when I came out of it, but that doesn't mean that was the last time I would ever go through periods of depression. Um, you know, I, I think the difference now is is I can. You know, I've developed the awareness so that I can recognize when I'm depressed, and usually it's because I notice certain behaviors, like I'm avoiding things more, and I'm, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of not engaging my life to the same degree and I'm able to catch myself and learn how, All right, I need to get things back on track and I I find ways of connecting, you know, connecting with people that are meaningful to me help me bring me back into like the purpose of my living, you know, my mentors, you mentioned mentors er earlier, and that I mean, I love the people who took the time to teach me Um, outside of class, I was able to develop a couple of relationships with my teachers, like Um, Dr. Diane Thompson, Dr. Benjamin Tong, Dr. Myrtle Heary, uh, just people who touched my life in such amazing ways. So important to me. So when I connect to meaningful people, that's the way that I really help reconnect to myself. Mm -hmm. And so it's, 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 you know, this connection thing is so important. And that's why I love what I do for work. If I had all the money in the world, I'd still be doing the same thing because... It's, this is my, my purpose is, you know, meeting with people, developing connections and through the, the unconditional positive regard is, that Carl Rogers, a humanistic psychologist from back in the day, that was a term he used that he thought was one of the most important things you would want to have when working with someone, that you treat them with unconditional positive regard that that person is the most important person in life in that moment in that room and that that's something that we so seldom experience in life unfortunately is that kind of care from people and uh if we could just do more of that you know that that's really that's the practice in life
0: yeah yeah well for for me i don't think that a lot of a lot of people can have the intention to want to care for someone that they're coaching or that they're they're healing or working with they can have a lot of intention to provide that space for someone and to be and for that person to be the main event however what happens a lot of time is i feel like there's a lot of interjection into trying to help yeah through sure. through that person's perspective of what the best route might be. And you have such an, of an amazing way of balancing the supportive element with the allowing element. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really important. Um, But before we get into kind of like, kind of the way that you and I work together, what going back to what you were just saying about purpose and having meaningful relationships, do you think that in order to be happy do you find that it's it's a trend that the people who are happiest feel like they have a purpose?
1: Mm. Yeah, I, I do think purpose is uh, super important to you know feeling meaning in life, and and that happiness happiness is kind of a a funny word. I think kind of like many emotions, it's it's or just all emotions really, it's transient. Uh, and I I feel like uh, you know we should embrace and enjoy happiness when it's there but when it's not there not thinking like i got to get back to that place because then when i'm not happy i'm i'm calling it a problem and that's that's such an issue in our world today you know sadness oh well you know make sure you go to the doctor and take a pill so you're not sad anymore as if Sadness is wrong, you know, and it's it's so unfortunate because, you know, we, we need to re- be able to honor our full spectrum of emotions because we suffer much more when we think this emotion's bad and the other one's good. Um, that's 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 an illusion that we create, an artificial split, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, but, you know, purpose, uh, I, I think that that's where that, that's even more important than searching for happiness is, is searching for purpose. And Viktor Frankl, uh, as a you know, really um, you know, example on the other end of the spectrum of how important purpose is, of you know, he wrote the book, Man's Search for Meaning. And, this, and he wrote, it was autobiographical about being in the concentration camps during World War II, where he lost a lot of people. But one of the things he said in his observations of others and in his own experience surviving the camp is that people who didn't have a sense of purpose didn't last very long. And it, it was like, it was really almost life or, it was literally life or death in terms of having a sense of purpose helped keep a lot of people alive. Wow. It, it's, it's an incredible book.
0: The interesting thing about that, Tim, is that that purpose is created in our brain.
1: Yeah, we are the ones who constitute that purpose and meaning. Uh, that's, that's absolutely right. Yes. So like,
0: we can just decide, like, here's my purpose, here's my reason for a living, in every moment.
1: We can. I, I, I think the, the the challenge in it, you know, because it's like, gosh, that sounds easy, right? Right. <laughs> you know? uh, and yet, so many of us my are purpose like,
0: "Purpose is, you know, whatever." Yeah, today.
1: and like, gosh, I wish it was so easy. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, as as I'm thinking about it just presently, uh, that it's we we have to first know ourselves you know that that when you're really getting to know yourself what's really important to you like who you are authentically because that can be hard to find if we've been living through the expectations we were told of ourselves how we're supposed to act the job we're supposed to do and all of these things it's like we have to learn how to shed those layers of what we were conditioned to think so we can really find our original self, if you will, uh, so that from there we can get that sense of what our authentic purpose is. Because that's going to be, you know, that's the, the powerful place right there, you know. And, but it's true, we are the ones who constitute that purpose and meaning because mm-hmm. nobody can tell us what that is for ourselves. Right,
0: just like no one can tell us who we are.
1: Yes, it's like one of my favorite quotes from Jean-Paul Sartre. Uh, he said, man is the being whose project is to be God. And this is what he was talking about, that we are the ones who constitute meaning in our life, that we mm. give the life and creation to the world around us, that it's up to us. Yes. And that's scary for a lot of people. That's a responsibility that's you know, difficult to hold, but pays off when we do take that on courageously.
0: I agree and we have done a lot of this work in our one-on-ones as well because I would say when I started working with you and and guys if you can go back to kind of like the timeline of a lot of these things taking place you know that I talked about an experience that I had with Noel, my acupuncturist I talked about um, an experience that I had in Denver like a lot of these things were just kind of Bringing me to a place of feeling like I was in an existential crisis, like I had no idea who I was. And in that time, it felt like, okay, well, let me just drop into like, let me look around. Can my family tell me who I am? Like, if I go to that Arena, will they give me some context for who I am? Or, like, if I go to my relationship, can I figure out, like, am I just supposed to be a girlfriend or do or go to my business? Like, okay, am I just like, what am I supposed to be doing here? And I could have taken, I could have chosen one of those routes because being in that state of not knowing where it feels like your identity was stripped away mm-hmm. is so freaking uncomfortable. Sure. It's like, it's just like, you feel like you're dying mm. like you like you have no purpose mm-hmm. because you don't you can't latch on to anything because you see through the illusion that you are none of these things yes and so i think major things like that are happening to a lot of people right now as an opportunity for us to step into what is it that we can be with being nothing right And for me, a lot of my discovery has come in, you know, being really honest about those emotions with you in the moments that they're, that they're coming up also recognizing and be, and having a lot of compassion for myself, which is another thing that we talk about a lot, you know, just in everyday life and recognizing and, and understanding that there's no, there's no answer for me. There's no title for me and there doesn't need to be. And that's okay. But through that, through living that way, I almost feel like I, I get less answers, but more understanding.
1: Hmm. I like that.
0: I don't know if, if that makes sense to anyone, but, but that's been my experience, you know? And, yeah. and like I was telling you yesterday in our, in our session, I was texting my mom and my sister. And for some unknown reason, I'm still on my mom's phone plan. I'm almost thirty, but and I'm I'm always g i am i am always I give her an out every year, like, is now the time that we're gonna move on from having a family plan. And she's like, I think it's just some sort of thing that she likes to be attached in that way. But anyway, I was texting my mom and my sister and just saying, you know, we're all due for an upgrade. I'm going to get my new phone. Um, is there anything that I need to know? And and they were just like, no, not really. Just, um, you know, if we have to change the plan for the new phone, just let us know. It was very simple. And and I told you yesterday, looking back on that same conversation that I had a year ago, probably sending a very similar text message, like, I'm going to upgrade my phone. I remember the self-talk that I had in my head so clearly about this situation And it it began with, um, you know, do you really need that? Why are you so needy? Is this something that you're irresponsible? Your family thinks you're irresponsible. They think you're annoying. Um, Your mom and your sister don't have time for this. Like you represent like such such a burden on their life. And I remember saying all these things to myself. Mm -hmm. And yesterday when I sent this text message, it was like, and also in that experience too, I didn't really like them either. Right. A year ago, yesterday, none of those things happened. Yeah. And I have to give credence to some of this work for allowing those situations to come up and for them to have for them to look different. Yeah. Than they once did. And yeah. I don't know, like I ask you a lot of times, like, I don't know, how, how do things actually change mm-hmm. and show up differently? And sometimes you have some things to say and sometimes you're just like, you know, you're doing the work. And, and an analogy also that I've given is you're putting out the recycling and you're maybe, you're also then saying, I'm not responsible for picking it up. I'm not responsible for knowing who picks it up. I'm not responsible for when they're picking it up. But all of a sudden, one day I go outside and that recycling is picked up. Mm -hmm. And that's all the shit that I've been looking at over these past years of just like, you know, I'm actually just, I guess, doing something about it. Instead of holding it into my body, all this discomfort, I have the amazing opportunity of coming to your office and just being like, Tim what the fuck is this life you know like what is going on and just just releasing and I don't know it seems so simple but it's profound and it's effects I don't think that without without doing this coaching therapy every week being consistent I don't think that the way that I'm trying to create more in my life, the way that I'm trying to connect with more people in my life, the way that I'm trying to stretch my limitations and, and talk to people who I would have otherwise thought like, they're not interested. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to be in these situations without addressing this monster inside of my head.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, sometimes that monster in our head, like you said, just wants uh, answers for this, answers for that. It's almost like we have to justify our every move and letting go of that can, you know, is simple and yet has a profound impact of, you know, I think sometimes just feeling free of that, like not having to justify every move and, you know, letting things just be what they are. And that You know, I love what you said. I might have to borrow that about, you know, uh, more understanding and less answers because answers have a more, uh, kind of definitive sort of fixed quality to them. Whereas understanding is something that develops and can always grow and evolve. And, uh, that's much more close to the nature of life is that it's always changing and evolving. And, you know, there, there are no solid answers, uh, from the existential point of view, there is no absolute. Yeah, you know that. Um, I, I think it was Socrates that said there are many truths, but no truth.
0: Right. You yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. We we talk about that all the time. Like, we don't know shit. we're just pretending that we do yeah that's right like yesterday I (laughs) I came into your office and I was I think I said this to you because I had heard on a podcast when I was driving three hours out of my way to the wrong doctor's office that on this podcast I heard this statement and it it really resonated with me and it was that the subconscious mind does not know the difference between a truth and a lie Mm. and so what you're telling the subconscious is what it latches onto, And it doesn't matter if it's true or if it's a lie. Mm-hmm. So all of the things that are cycling through your brain are truth to your subconscious mm-hmm. and truth in a lot of ways to your physical body. So what are you going to adhere to? What are you going to choose to be your truth in order to have a structure for the way that you live and for me that's i don't want someone else to define that mm-hmm. i want to see you out and discover what's out there learn from experience and learn from what i'm interested in and then create that for myself
1: sure yeah you know? yeah that's a that's a good approach i like it
0: because otherwise like someone else is telling you how to experience this life experience right and right. that's something that you never do
1: no and it, and it may not fit you know, with who you are, and and that that causes a lot of problems. That's where you know um, what's called existential guilt has to do with the guilt that we have for not existing authentically. You know that there's a certain mm. part of us that will always know we're kind of overriding what our authentic nature wants like what what our true original self wants in this life and uh and and that's instructive guilt it's to push us like you know in the other direction that's the thing about pain is it's not a pain isn't a punishment in life it's instruction it's a guide to know when you're you know need to maybe shift your path a little bit
0: Mm, this is big it's big (laughs) The interesting thing though, like what I'm thinking about is that when I first started seeing you, I didn't know that I, I didn't recognize the way that I was living as being painful. Mm. And then when I started uncovering these things, fuck, the pain came up like, and it was really painful, but then it got a lot easier.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was
0: kind of like i hadn't been looking or recognizing and i think a lot of people kind of live with sort of that numbing sensation of yeah. of just like everything's fine everything's fine right um, by all you know terms i'm somewhat normal things yeah. are okay things are okay and then all of a sudden shit hits the fan and you're like, who the fuck am I? What am I doing? (laughs)
1: That's right. Right? Yes, yes. And that can be a very painful experience. Yes,
0: but it's also really necessary.
1: Absolutely. Uh, That's what, uh, you know, in a way Sartre was saying when he said, human life begins at the far end of despair. That sometimes we have to hit despair to begin living a life anew you know to to realize that the way we were going was not really working yeah that we couldn't deny it anymore you know like reality hit us so hard we, we just can't deny it and say everything's all right yeah and then that's the moment when you know uh, you know if we take it we can really make things uh, you know so much better I mean one of my moments was sitting in that that damn hospital.
0: I mean, holy fuck.
1: Yeah, the hospital didn't do anything but wake me up just because I was there. Yeah. And I was like, this sucks. Yeah. And I don't ever want to be here again.
0: Yeah. Well, the great thing is that you were placed there. Mm-hmm. You didn't show up by, you know, your own accord.
1: My choices ended up with that as a consequence. Yes. That's in that's in the way that I was responsible for being there. Yeah
0: but a lot of people and and especially teenagers and and young adults you know their parents like want to push them to therapy mm-hmm. and i can imagine that in a place where they're not they don't understand how to communicate these things mm-hmm. they don't understand you know they just it's just like my mom put me here like this the end, mm-hmm. you know. I think that it's really important for us to teach our children how to begin communicating how we feel regularly, how sure. to how to talk about, um, you know, and and giving them the freedom to experience these things. No, from a perspective of. It's okay if my child is sad. It's okay if my child is happy.
1: Well, sure. I mean, I think that's uh, ideal, unfortunately. If the parents themselves don't have a healthy relationship with their own emotions, it's going to be really hard for them to teach that to their children. And I think this is, unfortunately, the case with so many of us. Uh, I mean... uh, highly emotionally intelligent parents are not something that a lot of us I believe have had um, yeah. and maybe my my view is uh, biased because I, I work with a lot of people dealing with emotional issues but uh it's been my experience that uh you know that's kind of a um, something we're all struggling with to a degree is how do I learn to take care of my emotions? Because too often it's, I don't like this emotion. It's painful. How do I get rid of it? And if you can give me a pill to get rid of it, even better because then I don't have to work too hard and it'll help me not feel it. Um, but it's really, um, that, you know, in the long run, that doesn't work very well. And we don't develop spiritually when we can't, take care of ourselves in that emotional place and what i mean by taking care of ourselves is not fighting it or trying to get rid of it it might be painful but how would you help somebody you loved who was in pain? Would you tell them stop feeling that? You know, you know, find a way to get out of it as soon as possible because I don't like it. I mean, that sometimes
0: wouldn't... that's what people do. <laughs> sometimes because uh, it makes them feel uncomfortable too,
1: right? But it wouldn't be very it's compassionate, not right? And, it's, and it wouldn't be helpful. Yeah. Um, and but with ourselves, we do that so easily. We're like, you know, I hate this feeling. How do I get out of it? I wish it would just go away. There's
0: no time for this. It's not efficient.
1: Exactly. And so <laughs> if we could learn how to go to ourselves and provide support and care. You know, just to say, like, this is really painful and, you know, it's okay, I'll sit with you, you know, as if it was another person, but it's ourselves. Sit with ourselves in that place of pain, showing compassion. Mm-hmm. And not just for ourselves, but when we practice that within, within us, we can then be able to give it so much easier in the world around us. And that's just so much of what the world needs is more love and compassion shown to each other. But it really does kind of start inside, like that old cliche, you can't really love someone until you love yourself. There's some truth in that. Because, you know, it's not that you can't love someone else, but your love will grow immensely if that love is also cultivated within your own heart with yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. And it's so important for people who have kids it's so important i mean it's important for everyone we all we all interact with people every day Mm -hmm. and you know i i always find that um it's been easy for me to be nice to people it's been easy for me to make people feel comfortable um but a lot of that has come at the expense of of my needs and like we were talking about yesterday, that's not beneficial either. Mm-hmm. And what I've done is a huge self-care practice and a self-love practice is I've signed up to talk about my stuff with you every week mm-hmm. because like guaranteed, there's something there every single week. <laughs> and and the, what I like to tell people is that, you know, sometimes it might look like me talking about a silly situation with a friend with you and... And some people may feel like, okay, that's so, um, meaningless. Like, why would you take the time to kind of go into that? And it's like, the most important thing is, is that I'm giving myself at least an hour, of time where I'm taking inventory of what is going on in my brain or in my heart or emotionally or something that's happened that week that's still sticking with me, Mm -hmm. that I give myself an opportunity to release that in a place where the response is not contributing to the judgment. You know, so I'm not going to another group of friends and saying like, look what this bitch did to me. That's not the answer <laughs> for me. And I don't right. think it's the answer. I don't think it feels good for most people. Mm-hmm. But yet they don't have the environment that, you know, well, we all do. We all have access to you and we have access to people like you. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing is that we begin taking care of our side of the street. Mm-hmm. Because I'm recognizing the ways that my relationships, on like, My participation in relationships may not have been as good as they could have been. um, And maybe I wasn't in the right relationships, too. And I'm I'm unable to have figured that out from a place of just the chaos. Mm -hmm. What's becoming a lot easier is making decisions in the moment feeling the way that I feel in the moment, making decisions on behalf of that, making decisions on behalf of my needs and being like so, um, how do I say it? Like I'm giving myself a lot of space and air to decide. Like I'm not forcing myself into anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know, there's just like, there's like the present moment has expanded a little bit Mm -hmm. because I've gotten, I've worked through a lot of that, like, what did they call it on my battery, car battery, corrosion. Mm -hmm. Like I look at a lot of the way that I was processing and and the way that it was functioning. There was a lot of corrosion on my brain that needed to like just be flushed out. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more clarity now.
1: Sure. You know, it's like when you were talking about uh, hitting that place of like, who am I? And it just kind of threw everything, you know, for a whack and even felt maybe chaotic and painful. Um, It's like those moments where, uh, you know, things just it's almost like life forces us to slow down. And it's, it's helpful in that way. I think that this is part, part of the function of uh, an experience like depression. It's kind of life saying you need to slow down and take a look. Yeah. And, and in doing that, like you're talking about just not rushing into anything. It's like you slow down. You, th- you see how things are, you check in with yourself, and from there you're just going to have access to more of that inner wisdom, you know, your own resources to try to make the best conscious decision you can in the moment. And it's going to tend to turn out better, and that's just the value of slowing things down. Um, I think of it like the mindfulness metaphor of uh, when we're kind of activated. It's like our inner snow globe has been stirred up. And, you know, the more we try to fix it and move it, it's just it keeps kicking the snow up. And we can't see clearly what's going on inside. So sometimes it's just about slowing down, leave it alone, let things settle. And then as the snow begins to fall, you can see more clearly what's going on in there. And from that clarity, your decisions from a conscious place are going to be better, generally.
0: That is such a good example. So true. Yeah. Oh, so important. And I wonder why sometimes it takes the drama and the trauma for us to get to that place of of getting there quietly with ourselves. You know, it it's it sometimes feels like we're not interested in ourselves.
1: Mm. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know what the answer would be to why we tend to need that, but I I think it is um, sort of a universal human condition that sometimes it does take having to get really nailed by life to stop and take a look and say, hold up, (laughs) got to make things different. And, 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 you know even though we have to sometimes go through that pain you know that's in the way that it's not a bad thing it's that sometimes it's just exactly the medicine we need as a quote i read once in this little zen book it's like any medicine that's worth anything uh you know is painful or tastes bad something something to that effect mm-hmm. um you know, it's the it's the valuing of even the tough times can really change the quality of how we experience them. Because I think one of the most, the reason why I moved in the direction of, you know, going, you know, against the whole clinical perspective of helping people through challenges is because it created the sense like something's wrong with what I'm going through. And that to me was in my observation of working with people for over a decade now, I've been, you know, in you know, hands-on, like, working with people through things, and so much of their suffering comes from the idea that something's wrong with them that needs to be fixed. And when they can let go of that and meet their challenge with a compassionate and understanding perspective and then work to help themselves adapt to that challenge to transcend it by you know their own efforts uh, it's so much more powerful and just letting go of the idea that something's wrong with you can reduce the suffering a great degree for some people and um, so it's just uh, it's 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 amazing how powerful we can be and I think it's really important to realize that when we're going through a tough time it's not bad bad is really uh the the wrong word for it it's hard it's painful but um just like the lotus has to travel through the dark muddy water to get to the light and bloom that mud has a lot of nutrients in it and it's necessary to really bloom in our life so that's
0: yeah, why should why should we expect that we would go through an entire existence without difficulties, without change, without contemplation of that which is happening? How mm-hmm. do we think that we can skip over all of those things and just have this amazing and beautiful life? Yeah. I think when we do that unconsciously, we look at other people and say, I just need that.
1: Right. Right. I just
0: need the money, the house, the person, the job, the end. Sure, but I th- I don't know that as spiritual beings, you know, the people who are listening to this podcast, we are we're all kind of collecting in wanting more from this life, wanting to be able to show up as our authentic selves, but first giving ourselves the time to figure out who that is, and and this process and what you're talking about is so integral in that taking place, Mm -hmm. you know, like um, I thought it was funny that you said no medicine worth taking, you know, tastes good Mm -hmm. because like Xanax is fine. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. it has no flavor. (laughs) Like (laughs) Prozac is the same way. Like there's, and and I talk so about So you don't it learn a lot by taking exactly that. <laughs> that's what it, exactly what came to mind. Right? It's just that, um, and I think that, and I've sent you some of her articles before. Like I think Kelly Brogan speaks very heroically on the topic of pharmaceutical medications. And if anyone's interested, I can put that link um, at the bottom of this show as well. Because you know, I don't, I don't speak from an informed place of the medical industry. However, I speak from an informed place of working with a lot of people like you, Tim. And I know and have an understanding that we are complete as we are. Mm -hmm. And that we have a lot of tools within us that are striving to reveal to us. And the, the less we can dismiss that messaging and the more that we can jump into what that messaging is trying to direct us toward, with the support of other people, we can feel so empowered.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and I think a, a big part of that is with the support of other people. Yeah. And a lot of people will reach out to me and they'll say, I don't have anyone in my city. I don't know who to connect with. Like, I don't even know where to begin. I'm depressed. I'm experiencing all these things. Yeah. And sometimes they try to, you know, tell me their life story over email, which I'm so appreciative that they took the time. And a lot of times I look at that and I say, that actually may have been a healing experience for you. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that that happened. But, um, but another option is to call someone like you over the phone. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To, I work
1: with people all over the country.
0: We have we have an internet now. This thing called the World Wide Web. The World Wide Web, where we can create our own communities and we can we can connect with people who inspire us, who are interested in the same things as us. Going back to that that finding purpose and meaning in life, where we we direct and we we program our life based on what is is piquing our curiosity and our excitement and that is at our fingertips at every moment.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: Right? Yeah, and
1: absolutely. I mean, uh it 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 really is an amazing technology that can do good in connecting people. I mean, it already does. It's not just something that disconnects us because we're only communicating through the keyboard, but we can use it to, um, you know, create wider communities. And if someone is in a place where they're having a hard time connecting with the community and like-minded people, uh, it provides access. And I think that's wonderful because you're right. I think other people are really so important to our thriving in life. You know, we just can't do it alone. Right. You know, it's, 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 uh, it's not wise to try.
0: (laughs) Right. And it's, it's an energy exchange as well. You know, like there are, there are people who you perceive to be your equals and the way that I, I kind of look at my healing group, you included, is that they're kind of like the elders and there's an energy exchange necessary for you to have access to the elders, but it's, it's an investment, Mm-hmm. It's an investment in your health, in your well-being, in in your future life, and organization of that life, and direction moving. Mm-hmm. It's it's an investment, and it's it's very important in it, and I believe that it's necessary, and I believe that it, it pays for itself to invest in things like that, like tenfold. Mm-hmm. It's not even a question. It's like how can we be signing up? to live in this time without people to help us see outside of ourselves, outside Mm -hmm. of the perspective that we've been brought up in, outside of our society or outside of our group of friends. And I think that it's even more responsible to find those people that we feel connected to and comfortable with to, to allow that expression to happen. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I don't know. I I feel like I'm beating a dead horse when I talk about it because I'm just like, (laughs) it's necessary. You know, like, for example, with Evan and I, like, I get aggravated sometimes when he is not (laughs) going to see you too because we share (laughs) the same life, Coach, because it's so obvious in times when, like, we're not cleaning up our side of the street. Like, I can feel like, Evan, you've been speaking for an hour and a half to me, like, this, what do you want me to do? Like, I can't clean this up for you. Like, this is the exact sort of scenario that you bring to a safe space, like you. Um, because when you when you do that in your relationships too much, mm-hmm. you're you're not taking care of your side of the street. Mm-hmm. and it will come through in 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 all of the environments and we're all guilty of it in in ways yeah
1: i i say i like just like an overall we're all guilty we're all totally <laughs> let's guilty let's all just share that together we're so we're, guilty. we're all responsible we're all guilty and uh let's let's forgive all of ourselves and yeah. each other for it <laughs> the way that it
0: like if you know me the way that it comes out with me is usually just that i'm like silently holding it in and and like darting eyes at you like just uh, you know that's that's my expression of not dealing with my stuff is just kind of resentment and i'm so personally uncomfortable like yeah. all of these ways that w- if we're taking an inventory and recognizing like i'm angry mm-hmm. i'm freaking frustrated like yeah. i don't i'm resentful like all of these things like that doesn't have to do with the other person
1: right it's 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 information for us
0: yeah, it's yeah. like you're you're not looking at the stuff that is coming into your field to teach you something. Here, here's your opportunity. Here are your people. Like let's move forward and start doing this. Yes, absolutely. Together. Yeah. Um. So, Tim, what are some of the ways that you take care of your emotional and mental health? You know,
1: um, I mean, you know, meditation is uh, definitely an, an you know, really important part of my life, and it's just you know the I I even you know every day is not a day that I'm gonna necessarily have the time to formally meditate because when I do it's uh, 20 minutes of zazen in the morning, um, but what I do find is if I don't get a chance to do that, I always remind myself to find meditation and any any chance I get in what I do. I mean, it's meditation when I'm just sitting with a person and really attuning to what they're saying. I mean, part of my spiritual practice is the work that I do. Uh, Like just, you know, having the meaningful conversations, you know, really getting a chance to engage, uh, you know, in a very meaningful and deep way with my clients is so rewarding to me. I mean, it feeds my purpose and it feeds my soul. And we meditate together sometimes, uh, you know, in our sessions. And it's like, I'm sort of fortunate that my work involves my spiritual practice as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: um, that's where I get a lot of it. And then, you know, it's when I come home, um, you know, being present with my wife and my, you know, two and a half year old daughter. I mean, it's, you know, just looking at her is one of just like inspire such love. It's, you know, something it's hard to, um, to put into words, but um, trying to really embrace my moments. It's like, that's how I meditate when I'm not sitting on the cushion. Because a lot of people think they need to meditate, you know, and sit on the cushion and, you know, um, whatever they think meditation is and do that. But the truth is, when you practice meditation, you're doing that so that you can bring that mindset into the rest of your day. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. So they say in, you know, Zen, if you're washing the dishes, just wash the dishes. You know, that, that's, it's as simple as that. It's yeah. learning how to really be there in whatever you're doing, no matter how mundane it is. It's actually valuable. It's an opportunity.
0: So does it seem like having a spiritual life or experience is just being able to be in the present moment?
1: Well, you know... It's being in the present moment, but you can be in the present moment and uh, be being unkind in the present moment, and I don't think that's going to enrich you. I think it's, you know, being in the present moment is a difficult practice because our minds are all over the place. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's being in the present moment, but, you know, that spiritual intention of what you're cultivating in that present moment. And if you are present, you, you're likely to be more aware of how you want to be like i want to show compassion to people in my life uh when when i'm not compassionate and when i'm unkind and i promise you that definitely happens because i, I don't am believe an you. imperfect human
0: <laughs> i don't believe you but um
1: <laughs> No, uh, there's people who will attest to that. Uh, But, you know, that's because I'm not present, I'm not conscious, and I'm reacting off of emotion. My emotions start dictating my behavior because I've let myself just turn into a a reactionary being rather than a conscious one. And so presence, I think, you know, allows you to have greater consciousness. So again, back to choices, you make better choices in how you act. Because we all have the potential to be unkind, and we all have the potential to be compassionate, and uh, and if we're not conscious, the, the the darker sides of ourselves will show through, and uh, that's that's something that we're all you know condemned to be. I mean, as you know, this. The, the, the thing about heaven and hell, there's a, you know, a, a story that I really love that where it's a samurai goes to a wise man and asks him, you know, teach me about heaven and hell. And the wise man says, why would I tell you anything, you, you know, disgusting pig? And the samurai's taken aback, like, you know, what? And... The wise man just continues to insult him until his like, blood is boiling, and he's going to grab his sword, about to cut the wise man's head off. And just before he does, the wise man says, this is hell. And the samurai, being you know, a wise person himself, realizes immediately what he's just told him, and he begins to cry. And then the wise man says, this is heaven. So it lives inside of us, and we have the potential for both.
0: I love that. That's a really beautiful way to end an amazing conversation. So good, Tim. Um, I think that you imparted with a lot of information and also a lot of practical tools like meditation, speaking with a therapist or speaking with a life coach. Um, And if there's any way else that people would like to connect with you or maybe ask a question, should they email you or yeah,
1: email. You're um, not a
0: social media person. Yeah, I, you know, I... Which is I, also probably why you're happier. It's a
1: certain disability of mine that social media hasn't quite clicked for me yet. Uh, I do have a fantasy that I could get there. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, you know, my website, um, you could you oh, know, reach okay. me on there because I've got my phone number and my email. Perfect. Um, call me or email me. Um, but the website is OCDCI. Dot .com
0: What's the CI stand for? The
1: CI is OCD Coaching Institute.com. Okay. okay. An institute because, you know, teaching people and, you know, ultimately I'd I'd even like to maybe train other coaches in how to work with OCD because there's a real poverty of people who know how to help. Folks struggling with OCD, um, but I'm not there yet. I don't have a training developed, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not sure if I have enough time to train right now. But um, because teaching, there's an
0: hour a week of Sheena,
1: yes, <laughs> that is one hour That's that like. I don't have uh, available <laughs> for others. Um, so yeah,
0: that that would take a lot, but oh my god, it is so necessary. It is so. I would love for there to be more and more people trained under your mindset of how to work with other people, because obviously I think that you have such a beautiful practice and I'm so thankful for it. And I've benefited immensely in ways that I can't even describe in words. My life is changing every day and I feel so empowered in, in spending that hour a week with you and myself. And I'm so grateful. So I'm going to point people to the website and put your web, put your email in the show notes. And as always, guys, use this information in ways that feel good for for you. Look up some of the, the resources that Tim alluded to and um, let us know how this episode impacted you in whatever way. So email me, email Tim, and, and just connect and reach out. And have a wonderful week, everyone. Right. Thanks, Thanks, Tim. Of
1: course, thank you.